Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. title of my teaching today is the inward man versus the outward man. The Bible teaches us that there is an inward man or the hidden person of the heart, as Peter puts him, as well as an outward man. So I want you to turn to your own Bibles. First of all, to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 as well as 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Let's read Peter first. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. Peter calls him the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. As you can see in both of these verses, that we do have an inward man or a hidden person of the heart, as well as an outward man. Now, the outward man is physical. But the inward man is spiritual. The inward man is hidden. In other words, he cannot be seen and he is not perceptible to our physical senses. Whereas the outward man is clearly visible and is perceptible to the five physical senses. We are told by Peter not to pay so much attention in beautifying the outward man, but rather focus our attention on beautifying the inward man of the heart. Now, Paul is praying for the church and he focuses on the inward man and he prays for that man to be strengthened with might through the Spirit of God. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through to 16, and see how Paul prays. He focuses on the hidden person of the heart or the inward man. And he says the following, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. As you can see here, Paul is praying that this inner man, this hidden person of the heart, to be strengthened with might by the Spirit of God. So we see here that the outward man is of the earth and is subject to decay. As 2 Corinthians chapter, the second verse we read, chapter 4, verse 16 He says, the outward man is perishing. In other words, the body, the outward man, is subject to decay, gets old, and in time dies. But the inward man is from heaven and not subject to decay because he is born of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 tells us that very clearly. He says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. In fact, the word of God tells us that our inward man is renewed day by day. While the outward man is decaying, the inward man is renewed and strengthened day by day. Now, in the gospel, according to St. John, Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of his day, he said the following. John chapter 8, verse 23. You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, but I am not of this world. Now, Unregenerate people who do not have the life of God in them are born from beneath. That's clear. They are earthly and sensual. That means they are completely under the control of the five physical senses or under the control of the physical bodies. John the Baptist said the following, He who comes from above is above all. But he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Now, according to the scriptures, those who come from above, in other words, those of us who have been born again by the Spirit of God, are above all. That's what the scripture teaches. They are not just ordinary people, but extraordinary individuals. It's important that we recognize that, that our inward man is born from above, and he is above all. The Word of God says that the inward man has been endued with power from on high, and we have been given special gifts for the purpose of fulfilling our God-given assignments. Now, you may ask the question, this is very important, what is our primary assignment? What is our primary assignment? Jesus said, pay attention, in John chapter 6, verse 38, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. 
We draw, therefore, the conclusion that those who are born again, those who come from above, have received a special assignment, and that is not to do their own will, but the will of him who sent them. And that is our overall assignment. It's important that we need to recognize that as born-again believers, that we are more than just physical, ordinary beings. And I have said this many times, and I'm going to keep on saying it until we come to the place where we truly believe this. We have been given supernatural abilities in order to function on a supernatural level. The Word of God says we have been sent from heaven to the earth, and we are to function as ambassadors of the kingdom we represent. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 tells us that. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, the practical way we do this is by allowing our inward man, the man of the spirit, the hidden person of the heart, to have his way and dominate the outward man. That is the only way that we can do the will of God. Unless the outward man is denied or crucified, as the Bible says, the inward man cannot live, cannot function. He's not released to work as he desires to work. So when we speak of the death of the outward man, we mean denying his right to live according to the desires and to the dictates of the flesh. This is what Paul means when he says to the Galatian believers. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24 says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How many of us are Christ's? I am of Christ. Christ is in me. And he's talking to you and I. And he says, those who are Christ's or who belong to Christ, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. To crucify means to put to death. Other words is to deny his right to live. And notice, this is something we do, not God. God is not going to crucify your flesh. You have to do that. You have to subdue the inward man, the man of the heart, who has been endued with the Spirit of God, is to rise up and subdue the outward man. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, but I bring under my body and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself be a castaway. Now, Paul confirms this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, which says those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And that that he's speaking about us. Those of us who live born of the Spirit no longer should live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again for us. 
So dying to self or crucifying the flesh means that we no longer live for ourselves. Now, self or the outward man has three primary pillars upon which he stands and functions. These pillars are, I want, I think, I feel. Self has three pillars upon which he stands, receives his strength and functions. These are, I want, I think, I feel. Now, if we destroy these three pillars, he remains dead or crucified. Therefore, crucifying the flesh refers to denying the outward man, the man of the earth, to have his way in these three areas. Note that this is the gateway into an extraordinary life in the spirit. When we deny the outward man, the man of the earth, we strengthen the inward man, the man of the spirit. You heard the story of the two dogs fighting. One dog is black, one dog is white. And someone asks, which one is going to win the fight? And the man answered, the man you feed the most. The man you feed the most. So, is when we deny the outward man, we strengthen the inner man, the man of the spirit. Now, let me give you a practical um, way of doing this. The way we demonstrate this, this kind of life, living for Christ, denying self, is by replacing the I with the we. We replace the I with the we. In other words, we place the interests of others above our own interests. We think more of others than we think of ourselves. Take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Philippians, he says the following, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That is the life of the Christian. We look to the interests of Christ's body at the expense of our own interests. You see, the outward man, the man of the earth, will always seek his own interests, will pursue his own agenda. But the man from above, the inward man, the man of the heart, will always pursue the interests of the kingdom of God. The Apostle John said exactly the same thing, but in different words. Let's look at John's words. 1 John chapter 3, verses, 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. By this we know love, 
because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? You see, believers, born-again believers who place the interests of others above their own, who lay down their lives to serve others, they always function on another level than those who live for themselves. They are empowered with multiple grace and with a corporate anointing as opposed to their own individual anointing. You see, I have come to realize through, through the Word of God and through experience that many believers struggle in life. They have no real joy, no real peace. Many of us are stressed out, worn out, and we never seem to get on top of things, and we move from one crisis to the next. Now, the reason, or one of the primary reasons, is that because we live for ourselves and not for Christ or the interests of his kingdom. Perhaps it's because we have not fully laid down our lives for the brethren, and it's always about us, what we want, what we think, and what we feel. Remember that the strength of the outward man is, I want, I feel, I think. In those cases, the voice of the outward man, or the voice of the flesh, is much louder and has greater influence on our lives than the voice of the inward man, the hidden man of the heart. And I want to say this, the more we feed the outward man by giving in to his gestures and desires, the weaker we become spiritually. And I personally believe that this is what has truly crippled and weakened the church of Jesus Christ. You see, true fasting in the eyes of God is denying the flesh or denying the outward man. Not just food. That's one, th one side. But the right to have his way and behave selfishly. That is true fasting. Not just fasting food, but denying his right to have his way. To be selfish and to pursue the carnal evil desires. I want, I feel, I think. Now Isaiah gives us a beautiful example of the fast that pleases the Lord with the one that displeases him. And God through Isaiah, he rebukes God's covenant people for living selfish lives and not laying down their lives to serve the interests of others. Let's take a closer look at Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, beginning with verse 1. This is what he says. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. 
Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. God says, I will tell you why. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in a burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Now here, we can clearly see the displeasure of the Lord as a result of seeking God to impress him and trying to manipulate, manipulate him with religious practices that are void of any kind of love or compassion for others. He says to them, even in your fast, you seek to please yourselves. You don't care about others or their welfare. You keep oppressing your workers. You make the living hard and heavy. He goes on to tell them the kind of fast that is pleasing to the Lord and the one which carries great spiritual rewards is this. And he goes on to spell out the kind of fast that is pleasing God. He says, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Then he goes on to say, share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Now these are exactly the same words John wrote to the believers in his epistle. Let's look at them once again. 1 John 3.16 But by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Question mark. Do you see it? It's so clear. The believer, the born-again person who has received the life of God, this is the way he should live. Not for himself, but for him who died and rose again. And the life of Christ, it was a life that was given completely to God in service of other people. This is how he expressed his love to the Father by loving God's people and by serving them 
his entire life. Now, Isaiah goes goes on to spell out the rich rewards for living the way God desires for us to live. These are some of the most wonderful and glorious promises that God gives to those who live this kind of life. Notice what he says to them in verse 10 and 11. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. There's healing there. Physical healing for the body is in these promises. He says, your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. No one can sneak behind you and do you harm. The devil cannot draw close to you. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. He goes on in verse 11. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you you will be as bright as noon and the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. What a promise. Physical healing. Divine direction in the midst of a darkened world. And then he goes on to say, you will be like a watered garden, even in drought and dry places. And the Lord will continually guide you and he will be your rear reward. He will protect you from behind, from the enemy. He will cover you and he will bless you. He will empower you as we live this kind of life, denying the outward man and allowing the inward man, the inner person of the heart, have his way with us. In short, this is what Jesus taught us in his word. In Matthew 6:33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and what is right in his sight, And all of these things we need in life will be given to us in abundance. You see, a believer who lives this kind of life does not seek the blessing. The blessing follows him wherever he goes. He becomes a magnet and he attracts the blessing of the Lord because his life is surrendered to Christ and he seeks the interests of the kingdom of God and what is right in God's sight rather than what is right in his own sight. So seeking the interests of the kingdom first and foremost means that we seek first what is beneficial to the body of Christ. Now, from my own experience, in observing believers for many years, those who lay down their lives to serve God and his church and put the interests of the kingdom of God above their own interest, and that requires sacrifice. It's not a a walk in the park. It requires denying ourselves, crucifying the flesh. I have noticed that those who lay down their lives to serve God and to serve the church with their gifts, with their talents, with their time, with their money, 
are the most prosperous and the most joyous and happiest people in the world. And that is a fact. Those who look only to their own interests, in other words, what's in it for me, whether you join a church or a ministry or a fellowship, and and you are there for what you can get out of it, rather than how you can serve, they are the most miserable and unhappy people. They always complain about something, complain about what they don't like, complain about this person or that person. Why? Because their focus is not on Christ and his interests, but on their own interests. Amen? Say, oh me, if you can't say, oh, amen. Hallelujah. And the reason being, why, why are they miserable? Why are they unhappy? Is because they violate the most basic principle of the gospel of Christ. And you ask me, what is that? They live for themselves and not for Christ. And Paul refers to them in his epistle to the Philippians. And he says, listen to what he says. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, Paul the apostle says, Many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. In other words, the outward man. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? And who set their mind on earthly things. Now, Paul says they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And that means in one sense of the word, they reject the cross of Christ. What does that mean? The cross speaks of death to self, death to I want, death to I feel, death to I think. Amen. He goes on to say, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul gave such a beautiful example or a pattern of behavior to follow. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Those are powerful words. For me, he says, to live is Christ. I live for Christ. I serve Christ. But to die is gain. Because if I die, then I'm going to be right in the presence of the king. In another place, he writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. This is another powerful statement that Paul makes. He says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. What a statement. In other words, he says, I have poured out my life and sacrificed self and my own desires in order to serve you and to serve your faith. And then he says, I did it with gladness and I did it with joy. Wow. 
That's a powerful statement. What a testimony he's given us. What a life. What an example. And what a pattern to follow. You know, I've noticed without without judging anyone that our commitment to Christ today, our commitment to the church, it seems that we separate our commitment to Christ from our commitment to his people. But it's one and the same. You can't say I'm committed to Christ and yet I'm not committed to the people that God has called me to walk with and fellowship with and pray with and live life with. It's one and the same. And I've seen how people sometimes separate the two. Oh, I can't really, I can't really do this because of this or because of that. Because my kids have this and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And they seem to put other interests above the interests of Christ's body. And that is, that is not a life that is laid down for Christ. That is not a life that is laid down for the brethren. And I believe God is calling us into a deeper commitment, a deeper consecration, where we surrender fully to Christ and allow the inward man to dominate our decisions, our desires, our pursuits, our dreams. And, um, and the only way we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we come into fellowship and make that connection with God and have an encounter with His Spirit, He gives us the ability and the power to be able to subdue the outward man. The more you take care of the inward man and deny the outward man, the stronger the inward man will become. And, and it's important that we realize that the hidden person of the heart is far more valuable to the eyes of God, and it should be to our own eyes, so that we would take care to nurture him, to feed him, to clothe him, as Peter says, with gentleness, a quiet spirit, a spirit of humility that is of great price in the eyes of God. So realize that, that the outward man is temporary. You know, he is aging, he's growing old, and one day we'll put him into the ground from whence he came. I look forward to that day when we're going to receive our glorified body, the body that, that is not subject to decay, that does not age, that knows no sickness, no pain, no disease. It's a glorious body that is charged by the power of God, not blood, but by the spirit of the living God. And so... We need to realize these things and we need to focus on where God puts his focus on. And so I trust that you've, you've received something today in a practical way. How do I live the life of Christ? What is my assignment? I mean, many believers don't know. I says, well, I don't know. What is my assignment? Well, you can start from here. It's not to do your own will, but to do the will of him who sent you. That is your overall assignment. And this, it differs for different people. The way you express that, the way you live that out is very different from the way I live it out, from the way someone else's lives it out. All of us have received gifts, have received talents, have received resources, have received abilities. 
And God is calling us to use those gifts and abilities to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to love one another, to assist one another. In fact, there are many references in the New Testament that gives us directives how to express this love toward one another. Someone said there are 57 references in relation to one another. Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, comfort one another, and so on. And so let us put our focus where we should. And remember, the more you feed and give in to the outward man, the weaker you become spiritually. But the more you sow to the spirit, the stronger you become spiritually and the weaker the outward man becomes. And as Paul said to the Galatians, he who sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap. What are we going to reap? Life. But he who sows to the flesh, in other words, I want, I feel, I think, shall of the flesh reap corruption. Amen. So let us pray and ask the Lord, as Paul prayed and asked the Father to strengthen the disciples, to strengthen the believers with might through his Spirit in our inner man. And this is the type of prayer that we can pray every single day for ourselves, for our children, for our loved ones. One of the ways that we lay down our lives for the brethren is by giving ourselves to prayer for them. We regularly lift them up before the Lord. We remember them before the throne. Honestly, I believe that we can achieve far more with our prayers than any other way and any other means. Because God hears and answers prayers that are prayed in accordance with his will. And when you make yourself available to pray for the church, for your brothers, for those you are in covenant with, God will reward you with the rewards that he promised. So let us pray this prayer together and, and ask the Father to strengthen us, to strengthen this family, to strengthen the church, to strengthen our relationships, to strengthen our resolve, to strengthen our will, to be able to lay down our will and pick up the will of the Father and walk in that from day to day. Father, we bow our knees to you, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that you would grant us, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with might through your spirit in our inner man. We pray that you will fortify our inner man with such ability and such strength that we would rise up in the power of your spirit and take our rightful place first in our own home and families, then in the marketplace to be the kind of people that you have called and destined us to be to be the fathers that you want us to be, the husbands that you want us to be, the mothers that you want us to be, the wives that you want us to be, the children, the sons and the daughters that you have called us to be, so that we may glorify your name on this earth 
that others may see our good works and glorify our Heavenly Father in heaven. We thank you for our time together today. We thank you for gathering us even through this means of technology that we can sit, have fellowship with you, with one another, and with the precious word of God. We value, Father, your presence, your spirit, your word, and we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your loving kindness and mercy that continues to shower us, to abide with us, to lead and to guide us every single day. We give you praise and thanks today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.